Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to City Game, your Brooklyn Nets podcast on WFAN and Radio.com. Here's your host, Steve Lichtenstein. And hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the City Game Podcast, the show for Brooklyn Nets fans. I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com, and folks, wow, what a game last night, huh? I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything more as a basketball fan. Star-studded matchup between the Nets and the Clippers. Incredible shot-making. The game going down to the wire before the Nets come out on top, 124-120. to I don't know if it means anything in the long run because you know it came on the heels of a game where the Nets pulled defeat from the jaws of victory, so to speak, you know, in Washington. But boy, the Nets can be really, really good when they want to be. And in this episode, I'll break down what transpired at Barclays Center last night and also take a look at the debacle in Washington with the help of the talented reporter from the New York Daily News, Christian Winfield. He'll be joining me in a little bit. So I hope we can all breathe a little easier now and just enjoy this show. And please, subscribe when you can to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're using. And feel free to let me know what you think in the Apple Podcast Review section. So let's talk about last night. You know, beyond the obvious, you know, like Kyrie Irving coming out of the intermission with fire in his eyes. Scoring 14 points in the third quarter. Or James Harden's fourth triple-double in nine games as a net. Or Kevin Durant's 28 points. Quiet 28 points. You know, he only took 13 shots and only one of them was a three. You know, think about that. Usually if you have 28 points on 13 shots, you think you maybe get five threes. at one. Big one with two minutes to go, but still just one. You know, the Nets stars, they played like stars. And so did the Clippers, I must say. I mean, personally, I think the difference in the game came down to pace. Early on, you know, L.A. was methodical, taking advantage of Brooklyn's defensive switches and attacking the mismatches like whoever Kyrie or Joe Harris was guarding. I mean, it looked pretty bad. I mean, the Nets just don't have the bodies to play like that. You know, and then they'd overhelp. 
leading to wide open corner threes. But, you know, the Clippers kind of lost their rhythm a bit. I kind of felt like they saw the Nets were starting to make some shots, some difficult shots. And then, you know, L.A. would try to play a little faster. That kind of played right into Brooklyn's hands. Nets turned some of their misses into runouts, and, you know, somehow they were only down one point at halftime. And then that pace kind of continued into the early part of the third quarter. You know, Kawhi was a little bit quick on his trigger. Same with Paul George. Not that they were all that inefficient. My Lord, they made some tough shots too. But, you know, Brooklyn's offense is just phenomenal. Since the Harden trade, their shooting split from the floor, from three, and from the foul line is 52-41-85. As a team. That's insane. And it you know, wasn't like the Clippers were playing bad defense. You know, They're what you want when you're facing this team. Lots of long, athletic guys like Leonard, George, Nick Batum, Serge Ibaka. No, Brooklyn was just hitting some ridiculously difficult shots. And maybe that kind of goaded L.A. into making the game a little tit-for-tat. And that's just not going to work against the Nets when they're playing that well. But, as we all know, Brooklyn's other end hasn't been so elite lately. Or for much of the year. Or it's not even been satisfactory. They've been hemorrhaging points, even to the league's worst teams. Like Washington. Washington's won four games all year, two of them against Brooklyn. But you got to give the Nets credit. Last night, they played with a hell of a lot more energy than they did in Washington. Contesting shots, coming away with more 50-50 balls. And they even managed to keep L.A. off their offensive glass in the second half. Three offensive rebounds compared to eight in the first half. Um, like I've been telling you all before, you know, a lot of these issues, it's purely effort. You know, Kyrie talked after the Washington game that he couldn't guard a stick. Well, how much can anyone blame Steve Nash for that? And speaking of Nash, it's good to see him learn a few lessons from earlier bungles, like how he had his guys give fouls twice in the last 10 seconds when up three, maximized his win probability, according to every analytics expert. And he also called timeouts to advance the ball to midcourt, you know, just in case the Nets coughed up the ball like they did at the excruciating end of the Washington game. You know, I still would have liked to see him utilize more offense-defense substitutions in the end of games, like having Bruce Brown check in for Harris. And there was no excuse for going home with two unused timeouts last night, not when Harden played 22 of 24 minutes in the second half. Give the guy a rest. And maybe Nash could have burned one when Landry Shamet was stuck at the free-throw line, you know, when all the Clippers starters returned to the court in the middle of the fourth quarter. And Shamet Kind of looked like Ollie from Hoosiers on the next couple of possessions, where the Nets went from up two to down five. But, overall, well done by Nash and his merry men. Played just enough defense where their talent was able to take over. And one last thing on that, you know, Harden, he's so underrated in so many areas, but as a post defender, he had a couple possessions where Kawhi tried to back him down in the post. And Harden just didn't give any ground and forced tough shots. I think Kawhi may have made some, but, you know, hey, that's going to happen. Anyway, I got my first question into Durant this season after the game, and I asked him about his old buddy's defense. Here's the clip. 
Hi, Kevin. Uh, James is just an all-time great offensive player, but he does so many things that are underrated. Can you talk about his post-defense on players like Kawhi Leonard or Marcus Morris and what he does to be successful? Yeah, I mean, coming in with James his rookie year, I mean, we asked him to guard guys, the best players, you know, off the bench. And so he knows exactly what he needs to do on the defensive side of the ball. And then <clears throat> when you go to Houston, you know, he had to control the offense so much that you know, it's a compromise on the other end on who you want to guard and, 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 you know, what type of defense you want to play. But he always been good at getting steals and playing post defense with his, using his strength. So um, he's an all-around defender, you know, and if we ask him to guard somebody, he's going to go out there and do his job. And I think that's the underrated part of his game. Again, that was superstar Kevin Durant, who's been everything Nets fans could have imagined and more. He's moving incredibly well on that repaired Achilles. And he's been willing to do some of the dirty work, too. You know, the Washington game being a rare exception. And to talk more about the repercussions from that night, I'm going to now bring in my friend Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News, who's one of the many superb reporters on the Nets beat. Again, you know, we talked before Tuesday night's game, so some of the conversation may feel somewhat dated, but, you know, I still think most of it is very enlightening. Here's my chat with Christian Winfield. Folks, I'm so grateful to have back on with me today the terrific young reporter on the Nets beat for the New York Daily News, my friend Christian Winfield. Christian, thank you for giving me some time to talk a little Nets today. Anytime, anytime. It looks like everybody's talking a little Nets these days. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite different this year. Uh, so, But I guess the topic... All of Nets Twitter wants to hear about is the defense. You know, we're recording this oh. before the Clippers game. So I guess there's a chance the Nets will take this one more seriously than they did in Washington the other day. But really, Christian, that game wasn't an outlier. The defense has been atrocious for much of the season. You're a basketball connoisseur, so I'm coming to you. How would you suggest they fix this? I mean, are you sure this is what Nets fans want to hear? I don't think there's, you know, it's, it's tough because, you, you, I mean, and Steve Nash has admitted it. When, when you just look at this roster, you know, it doesn't scream defense. You trade, you, you get Kevin Durant, you get Kyrie Irving, you, you trade Jared Allen for James Harden. I mean, these are not three defensive superstars by any means. I mean, obviously, Kevin Durant can play defense. We know that. And obviously, we've seen James Harden play defense in very focused spurts. We've seen Kyrie Irving play defense in when when games matter. We've seen him play defense on Stephen Curry in the NBA Finals. But it, it's a combination of things. It's one, these guys are are still, you know what I'm saying? It's still a, a relatively new group, right? And, and for that reason, guys are still learning to play with one another. And then on, on the other hand of that, and this is what Steve Nash and a lot of these these players are also admitting, it's it's a pride thing. You know, Kyrie Irving even said it in, in this game. He said, I couldn't guard a stick today. Man, guys were going right around me. And and that is the tone that these guys have to that these guys can't afford to set on the defensive end because that energy trickles down. And I don't care who says otherwise, but if your best players are not giving you a hundred percent effort on defense, how can you expect the other guys to give you a hundred percent effort on defense? Right. So it, it's a it's a multi layer issue. Number one, they don't have the makeup of a good defensive team. Um, and now you add Elon Shumpert, you add Norbel Pell, um, and hopefully those guys can can impact. In, in spurts, but I mean, 
you're not expecting Norvell Pell to come in and play 20 minutes. You're definitely not expecting Iman Shumpert to come in and play 20 minutes a game when he hasn't really been playing basketball for some time. Uh, and on top of that, he's going to have to compete with Bruce Brown for those minutes. And Bruce Brown is in shape, younger and doing that job pretty well right now. Um, but it's it's going to have to come from within um, these guys. And, and then on top of that, and this is the third layer that, I mean, yes, they don't have the, the roster makeup, but they also don't have the coaching makeup. You have Steve Nash as your head coach and Mike D'Antoni as kind of like another lead assistant on this team. I mean, where is the defense coming from? You know what I'm saying? DeAndre Jordan is supposed to be the tone setter on the defensive end. Uh, and and in a way he is, but he's only playing what? He's bare, he's basically playing about 20 minutes a game. And, and and on top of that, he can't really switch onto a lot of these, these quick guards and the Nets want to switch everything. Uh, it's tough, you know, and part of me wants to say, yo, you know, you don't really have to play defense if you can go out there and score 200 points a game. If you can get to 200 points a game, good luck, right? You yeah. forget you got to 143 or something the other night. Yeah. Was 143 is not enough. 146 to 149, that was a score. That's not enough. If, you, if you're not going to play any defense, you have to score 200 points, right? And, and if you can go out there and say, okay, forget defense. We're going to go try to hang as many points on the other team and good luck to them to stop us then so be it. You know what I'm saying? Go for it. If you're going to go all in on offense, you've got James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris. You've got these guys that can score. Do it. Uh, I don't think that's realistic, right? I, I think this is a team that really needs to figure it out. Um, and how that happens, I, I'm not sure. Part of it is going gonna, is gonna to happen over time, I think. I think this is a team that's still trying to figure out who, you know, Steve Nash is trying to figure out what players fit best with your, with your rotations. I mean, look at it. You've got Kyrie, KD, and, and, and James Harden playing – 30 plus minutes at their position every game, right? So you've only really got two other players who could fit in alongside them uh, that could really make an impact on that, on that end. And one of them is going to be a center and the other one is going to be a, a three or a four. Um, so, so it's going to be tough. Um, but I, I think at the end of the day, it, 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 it boils down to what Steve Nash has been saying uh, and to what players have also admitted. It's pride. You know, you've got to go out there and understand that the guys that you're going against on a nightly basis are going to try to rip your head off because you're a team that's going to try to win a championship. So you're going to get every team's best punch and you have to approach each game knowing that. And they know that, but they're not necessarily reacting in that way. So I think that it's it's something that they're just going to have to come to understand. And honestly, I don't think this is the type of defense that we see this team play in the playoffs when games matter. You know, and a lot of this is intensity, right? You just have to come in with that with that type of fight. But at the same time, right, defense is habits. It's what, what habits do you establish in the beginning of the season? Do you develop throughout the course of the season that you can rely on uh, in the playoffs when your back is against the wall? Because, you know, when your backs are against the wall, you, you fall back onto those habits, good or bad. Right now, the Nets have bad defensive habits, uh, and that has to change. Right, you brought up Nash, and I'm going to get to zoom in on him in a little bit, but I've just – for this purpose on the defense, I'm not in on all the zoom calls, but has anyone asked Nash about why he's so reluctant to use zones? Ah, uh, that's a, I don't know. Maybe you should ask him that. Um, I I'm, never, I'm you know, sure. they, Aaron doesn't call me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think anyone has, has asked that specific question. Um, I do know that right now, you know, I, I asked DeAndre this. I said, hey, you know, is, is Jacques Vaughn still in charge of the defense? And and DeAndre kind of said yes and no, because obviously they don't want to use Jacques Vaughn as a scapegoat, right? And, and understandable. Last season, you know what I'm saying, the, the defense under Jacques Vaughn, what they played in the Orlando bubble in those few games before the, the season fell down, uh, it, it looked cohesive, and now it doesn't. 
Um, so, and, and we've seen kind of concerted efforts in spurts again, like this is the, the Nets need to put together consistent strings of defensive intensity and effort. Uh, and they haven't done that, but as it pertains to zones, you know, no, that's not something I've asked. That's not, that's not in my wheelhouse. So maybe, maybe someone needs to call on you. Yeah, right. I'm talking with uh, daily news, Christian Winfield. Uh, I believe from reading your work in, in the news that you were in the camp that if you can get James Harden, you go get James Harden. And so uh, am I correct in that? And what do you make of his newfound good behavior modeling, you know, where he's been deferring to others? Is that something that you think is sustainable or are we going to see the old Harden ways where he monopolizes the ball? Um, that's a good question. Number one. Yes. I am in the camp of you. If you have an opportunity to get a James Harden, specifically if you have two stars and a third one comes available, right? I don't think if you have no stars and James Harden is available, you go get him, right? If you're the Knicks, you probably don't trade for James. I mean, you, you do, if you could get him because you have nothing else going for you, right? At that point in the off season where before quickly becomes a story, right? If the Knicks had assets to go get James Harden over the summer, uh, you probably go get him too. But specifically, you know, if you're a team that has two stars and you're trying to win a championship in a league built around teams with two stars and a third star is available, a third star who is a former MVP and one of the greatest scorers of all time, you do what you have to do to go get him. Um, now, as it pertains to whether this is something that he can keep up with his playmaker, I think, number one, we know that he's a playmaker, right? He's averaged, I don't know how many years he's had double figure assists. Even this year, I think he only has one game since joining the Nets where he's had less than 10 assists and he had eight in that game, which, which is bananas. Um, but but also, I think we'll see if, if you go back in the tape and, and look to James Harden, especially in some of those isolation situations in Houston, we'll see him dribble, dribble, crossover. And then a lot of the times, even if he doesn't shoot, he'll just fling the ball to the corner, right? At the end of a shot clock, he'll just throw it to the corner to someone to shoot, right? And, and part of that is, okay, well, maybe he doesn't want to take that shot in that moment, but also it's, you know, he he is he's a willing passer, you know? And, and I think that's something that's going to work well for him in Brooklyn because number one, you've got a guy in Kyrie Irving who's a willing shooter, right? And then number two, you've got a guy in KD who you have to get him the ball, right? If you don't get Kevin Durant the ball, you're part of the problem because that guy is probably the best scorer uh, walking the planet. Even James Harden said, why would I try to get in the way of Kevin Durant's God-given seven-foot gifts right so I, I think it ends up working out uh and i think that we've seen this team work well in duos right we've seen them we've seen james harden and kevin durant work well we've seen kyrie irving and and kevin durant work well but we're still waiting on that kyrie irving and james harden pairing to click right and we saw some of it uh not too long ago i forgot who they played two games ago man it's it's like every day these games are just piling on top of one another but the two they combined for 50 points atlanta, atlanta. yeah yeah, they, they, they combined for 50 points and 18 assists. Um, and, and it was just it, it was a great showing of, of what that backcourt can look like once they start gelling. Um, but again, you know, I don't think this team's problem is on offense. Right. Like I was saying, this this team's going to be able to may, we might see them score 170, 180 points this season. Um, <laughs> but in that same vein, if they give if they score 170, 180 points, it's going to be because they're also giving up 160. So or maybe 185 and lose. So it, it, it all boils down to on my on my end to what can these guys do to stop opponents from scoring with a roster that's not built to stop people from scoring. Um, but to get back to your point with James Harden, you know, I, I think it, it it's a fit. Uh, it's a it's kind of a force fit because you've got three guys who are all such great offensive talents who are capable of holding the ball in their hands and initiating the offense. Um, but at the same time, you know, it, it's a fit nonetheless. And I think it, it ends up working. Okay, Christian, now we move on to the other end of the roster where the story was 
you know, the filling of the two slots with Shumpert and Pell. Yeah. At the top, the team is obviously keeping one more slot open to maintain flexibility, you know, for a trade or a buyout. If you were Sean Marks, who are you targeting? I mean, I don't see Cleveland, you know, pass, you know, buying out Andre Drummond, you know, because they're hanging around a playoff speed. I mean, who, what, are, what should they be looking at? You know, that's tough. Um, I would have told you they needed another big man, maybe like a JaVale McGee type of guy before they got Pell. Um, and, and obviously we have to see what Pell ends up looking like. Uh, I, from my recollection, watching him last season in Philly, uh, he can be a potentially dominant. He can have a dominant impact on the game with the with his ability to block shots. And he didn't just block shots. He rejects them. He punches shots that are at the rim. Uh, and then on top of that, he'll go down on the court and he dunks with a lot of energy. And those are types of plays that can change games just because of the energy, right? And same thing you can say for Shump. Shump is an energy guy. And, and those two signings, uh, whenever you can find minutes for those guys, which is going to be the tricky part because you've got Reggie Perry, uh, you've got DeAndre Jordan, and and Jeff Green is playing like, I mean, this guy, is just he just won't miss out there. He's shooting shots. He's defending guys. He's, he's playing pretty well. So where are you going to find minutes for Norvell Pell? Where are you going to find minutes for, for Iman Shumpert when you've already got Bruce Brown? I think they can put Bruce Brown and Iman Shumpert on I the I got a suggestion. You can Let's hear TLC. I've seen, I saw enough last year. I, I don't understand how he's on the floor. Do you think Bruce Brown misses that layup at the end? No, Bruce Brown, Bruce Brown could take a floater from five feet further than that. And, and it still yeah. goes in at the end. It, it's tough. That's and there you close. go. And, and guys, you know, guys were a little upset. I went upset. Guys were, guys were not necessarily trying to beat TLC or Joe Harris up because they made two terrible blunders at the end of that game. I mean, Joe Harris throws the ball right to the, to the wizards and finds Russell Westbrook for a wide open three. Uh, and, and then TLC misses that bunny of a lip. And, and, you know, that's, that's where we get back to the point. I do think this team needs some wing help uh, in terms of guys who can play that three and D role. Uh, that said, I'm not sure where they're going to be able to, I mean, obviously we're going to find some buyout help, right? Guys are going to have to get contracts bought out. Um, the Nets still have that disabled player exception worth, what is it, 5.7 million that they can use to sign somebody. And, and honestly, I think some of them are still holding out hope that Spencer Dinwiddie comes back uh, maybe after this break, whenever this break, I think the break is in March, after this break and, and is able to actually contribute. You know, Spencer wow. was out on the court a couple games ago, maybe maybe a week or two ago, actually shooting shots. I mean, he wasn't getting too much lift. But he was actually shooting uh, some 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 jumpers, you know, on the floor pregame in warmups, right? So if you were able to get surgery and now you're already getting some shots up, you know, I don't think all hope is lost that he comes back before the end of the season. But I think that's what they're going to need, right? Not necessarily somebody who can handle the ball, but someone who could do things, a, a two-way playmaker, a guy who can make plays on defense and then come up and, and hit some shots on offense, right? Where are you going to find that guy? I don't know because those guys got signed earlier in the season and teams are not trying to give those guys away for free, let alone to a Nets team that basically is trying to break basketball and create one of the best rosters of all time. So uh, Sean Marks has his work cut out for him. Um, and I, I, I think that I think we're in the same boat here that they need to get a, a wing guy who can score and play some defense and hit some shots. Uh, but it's going to be tough. They're not going to find these guys easily. Yeah, with 10 teams making, you know, the playoffs, you know, or the, you know, the play-in round. Yeah. Even a team like the Knicks, who have Reggie Bullock, you know, who could have been, a, you know, traded for a second-round pick or bought yeah. out, you know, yeah. did they don't, if they're hanging around, they need him. 
Look at it. I mean, the Cavaliers are trying to make the playoffs. The Cavaliers are like, hey, we're not trying to, we're not trying to trade anybody. Just yeah, we think we can, we can do something, right? And that just goes to show you, you know, there's a lot of time. I think the Nets are going to have to look at teams like maybe the Detroit Pistons, um, you know, teams that are are so far out of not only competing for the playoffs this year, but also just like not in a position to compete for playoffs in in a couple years. I think that's what they're going to have to look for. They have to look for guys that are trying to. And, and on top of that, I mean, this is part of what happens when you when you do trade for James Harden, right? The Nets don't have any good draft assets. You gave up all your picks. You gave up your pick swaps. You gave up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and Torian Prince. Torian Prince would be very helpful for the team right now, right? right? As much as much as you want to talk about Torian Prince's shot selection, he was available and he wanted to shoot. And he, I think Torian Prince makes that layup. You know, and and he uh, we won't talk about we won't say that he was the best defender. And actually, we probably won't even talk about him defending at all. But in in, in terms of that shot and in terms of the, the profile of player that the Nets need, that's the type of guy that they need right now. I agree. I, all right. Just a couple more for you, if you don't mind, Christian. You know, I've asked this of every guest and it's going back to Steve Nash. I mean, if, if this were in a win now team, I mean, you could argue that he's certainly worth a flyer, but the Nets aren't in development mode anymore. So, you know, do you think fans are, cons- you know, there is a segment of Nets fans that are concerned because, you know, of how he manages games. And you brought up, you know, what he talks about the defense and having pride. What does it say? They brought this guy in because he's a communicator and he can collaborate with these guys. And already, you know, half, I don't want to say how much, what percentage of the games, but a large percentage of the games you know, they just don't have any juice and they're they're not they're not giving forth the effort that's required to play NBA defense. You know, imagine if this team was coached by Tom Thibodeau. Imagine if this team is coached by Mark Jackson or Ty Lu. Ty Lu. Imagine if this team was coached by anyone with actual NBA head coaching experience, let alone coaching playoff teams. You know, it. And, and this goes back to what my coverage of of the Steve Nash hire at, at the beginning of the year, right? I w- at the beginning of the year, I was not a fan, you know. Like, and I, I understand that Steve Nash comes with NBA pedigree, right? And you can be a Hall of Fame point guard, and you can be one of the best point guards of all time. And yes, that on your resume, in theory or in practice, should get not, you no, an opportunity. I disagree there. I, I think Matthew that Johnson and, and, and Isaiah Thomas. They, they were not yeah. very good. And guys, like you mentioned, Thibodeau, uh, Greg Popovich, they never played in the league. Eric Spolster. No, and I agree with you there. And I think in theory, and, and let me give that to my point. I think in theory, it should get you an opportunity to coach. I don't think in theory that sh- that opportunity should be with a championship team. Right. With the like if you if you if you're Steve Nash and you have no head coaching experience and you want to jump in, you know, I, I wouldn't be mad at a team like maybe the Chicago Bulls hiring Steve Nash. Right. Because that's a team young, up and coming, trying to develop their players. Steve Nash, one of the best of all time. That's a guy they're going to listen to. The Nets are a team that need to win. Right. And you've got a guy in Nash who's coming in trying to establish all t- different types of philosophies and figure out who he is as a coach. How are you going to know who you how are you going to lead a team to a championship when you don't even know who you are as a coach yet? And it's happened before. Right. I mean, we, we, we've seen Steve Kerr, rookie head coach, come in. You know, what I'm saying that team transforms what starts winning right away. But we've also seen the other side of it. Right? Look what happened with Derek Fisher. Right. Derek Fisher came in, thought he was going to be a head coach and he got embroiled in some of this off the court stuff. And, and we all know what happened there. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking just about what we've seen from Steve Nash on the floor, on the sidelines. I mean, we've we have seen mismanagement of games from a timeout standpoint. 
Um, we have seen him struggle with his rotations, leaving guys in too long, not getting guys in at the right time. Um, but it's tough, right? And it's it's it goes back to this is another gamble that Sean Marks took. All these these are all gambles that Sean Marks has taken, right? You gamble in trading D'Angelo in trading for D'Angelo Russell. You gamble on drafting Karis LeVert with his draft history, with his injury history. You, you gamble on trading D'Angelo Russell for for Kevin Durant, who hasn't played, and well, he who's on an, an, an Achilles injury, right? You get. You know, Kyrie Irving is part of that deal. You gamble by bringing Kyrie Irving into the mix. And then you gamble on James Harden. You gamble on Steve Nash. And, and this is a part of that gamble. Um, whether it pay, pans out or not, I don't know. You know, at the end of the day, I still think that as good as a coach is, I think a coach is only as good as his players, right? Like you could have the, the best coach in the world, but they're not going to win very many games if you give them the not so good players. Yeah, right? but hold on. You wrote, I, I read the articles you wrote. You wrote that in less, you know, with the Harden trade, it's championship or bust. Oh no! Yeah, it was championship or bust. So we know this team is good, yeah. but can they be? Can they get to that level if the coaching is, is sub? I don't want to say substandard, but you know, it's a it's a deficiency when compared to the people they're going to be playing. Ah, uh, it's going to be tough. You know, I mean, another thing about this is Steve Nash hasn't won any championships. Mike D'Antoni hasn't won any championships, right? So, so what are they go? How are they? What are they going to lean on? They're going to lean on their players. Right. And I think at the end of the day, that's what the Nets are, are betting on. The Nets are, are betting that their players are going to, you know, a combo well, not accommodate, but compensate for, you know, Steve Nash's shortcomings. And and I think they're also betting on Steve Nash getting better over time. Uh, and I think that's one thing that we can give him time to do. Right. We could give him time to learn the job. Right. That's fine. Right. But he's learning the job within the context of this team struggling early because he is not very not necessarily good at his job yet. Uh, and it's tough, but he it's 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 going to be a work in progress. Right. I, I don't really know how many other ways to characterize it other than that. Um, we have seen some blunders on his end on his end from timeouts to rotations, like I mentioned. But I think those were part of the play. I think I think people knew that this wasn't going to be perfect with him from jump. Um, but like I had said earlier, this is one of the reasons why if you were serious about really trying to win immediately, you go get a head coach who has that experience, right? And they did not do that. And if the Nets don't win, I don't even think they need to win a championship this year. You need to make it to the finals this year, right? If you don't make it to the finals, it's a disappointment. If you lose, there's no shame in losing to LeBron, right? That that happens. Uh, but if you don't make it to the finals, if you lose in the second round, if you lose in the in the conference finals, and it's not a crazy seven game series that you lose to like maybe Giannis on a crazy game winner blunder, then I think it's 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 a disappointing season. Um, and I think then you start to reevaluate the Nash hire. Um, but right now, I, I think that you, you give this team time to grow as, as a team. And uh, and I think we're going to we're going to do that. Yeah, that's fair enough. And finally, Christian Winfield, Daily News. You know, I want to ask you about Kyrie Irving. Yeah. I really wanted to have you on over the summer, but unfortunately, we couldn't connect. I mean, you did such outstanding work covering the protests for racial justice in Brooklyn. And Kyrie was outspoken then about NBA players roles, you know, as Plans were being made to resume the season in the Orlando bubble. I didn't think that what he said at the time was controversial because he's on the board of the Players Association. Right. But my question to you is, you know, we've we've now seen him, you know, go through the absence. Have you been able to glean anything about that? You know, whether it was tied to the insurrection on January 6th, or do you have any theories about whether he can compartmentalize between basketball and all the things that he wants to accomplish as a human being? Um, yes. Um, one, I don't think 
his absence was necessarily directly correlated to the insurrection. I think it was more so a culmination of everything. Uh, I think the insurrection was and it wasn't a, was a culmination of all the things we've seen happen across this country uh, in the last year. I mean, obviously, over the course of this country's history. Right. But in the last year or so, where where people have really used their platforms to voice their displeasure uh, with what's been happening between police and the black community and, and just all different types of community. Right. Kyrie has made it a point. It's not just about blacks, it's about all people of color being, you know, what I'm saying just disproportionately impacted by police, by 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 just different presences. Um, and, and he admitted it. You know, I think these are things that he that he had and, and caps off to him. He actually communicated this. He's like, hey, man. I, as someone who A, has the money that he has and B, has the platform that he has, he has been overextending himself in ways to try to figure out how he can best help. And, and his his response, basically, he took that time off and realized, yo, you know, not everything is his battle, right? He, he's like, you know what? I, I And as a part of that, he said he reached out for help and he got help, right? So now he's got people who are taking things off of his plate. These are his words. He's got people that are taking different issues that he feels strongly about off of his plate so he doesn't have to worry about them. And and that is, I think, that speaks volumes to what he is trying to accomplish, right? He's Yes, he's trying to be a, a basketball player, trying to win championships and, and go down as one of the best basketball players in this league. Uh, but he's also trying to use the platform that this league has given him to create change where he wants to see it. Um, and, you know, I mean, honestly, you have to tip your hat and give a round of applause to someone like that who, number one, was willing, was said earlier in the bubble last season that he was willing to not play basketball at all if it meant liberating some people from, from oppression. And then he comes back this season and actually doesn't play basketball at all to figure out ways to actually carry out that vision, right? And I think we we all kind of jumped to a conclusion. Oh, he doesn't want to play Oh, this, that, that, you know, everybody had their own different theories as to why he didn't want to play. Uh, and then he comes back and actually communicates the reason. And I mean, you know, you, you've got to, I mean, I, I wrote about I, this. I, mean, he, he, I always thought of him as someone who wasn't just satisfied with his voice. He sure. wanted to have his legs in the fight as well. Yeah. And, and I, I hope, I think that is correct, but you can go on. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, that, that is, that is a hundred percent correct. But at the same time, you know, he also understands that he has an obligation to his team and to his teammates to be there, right? And he missed a, a good chunk of games trying to figure that out. I think that time that he spent to himself uh, was good for him to be able to figure out where he can pick his spots and, and being able to support. And as you said, be in those in those fights, you know what I'm saying, down with the people. Um, but at the same time, you know, he, he does have his responsibilities as a basketball player. And I think a lot of times people want these athletes to put basketball ahead of you know, being a human being. Right. And, and it doesn't work like that. It's easy to say that because these guys make God knows how much money. I mean, Kyrie signed one forty million dollar contract. That's a lot of money. That's more money than most people will see in multiple lifetimes. That's why I use the word compartmentalize. Yeah, <laughs> I it, it's, tough. <laughs> it's tough. To, it is tough to, to, to compartmentalize a lot of these things. But uh, I think for him, that's what it's going to have to boil down to. And I think that's what he's going to he has ended up doing because he's been sharp. I mean, if you look at what he's been able to do on the floor, what he's been on the floor is you, there's not much to, to complain about. Right. I mean, offensively, defensively. Yeah, well, well, yeah, defensively. I mean, when, he's when Ish Smith is, is <laughs> Kyrie and saying, I got him. That's a fact. That is a fact. I mean, but. I, I do think that, you know, number one, that that defensive thing goes back to a, a bigger issue in, in Brooklyn of just needing to figure out who they are as a team. Uh, but as it pertains to Kyrie, uh, I think he's fine at, with with his off the court stuff. Uh, I think he's I want to necessarily say turned a corner, but I think he, he's kind of figured out 
how he needs to maneuver to be the person he wants to be while also competing at a high level. Uh, and I think that he'll be just fine. Well, Christian Woodfield, keep up the great work at the New York Daily News. You're a Thank must you. follow on Twitter for all Nets fans, even when you're just going over your lunch options. <laughs> what should I eat for lunch today? I'm headed to Barclays in, in what is it, two or three hours? Oh, no. We can't, we can't do chicks. I know you're vegan. <laughs> I'm not vegan anymore. Oh, you're not, you're, oh, I haven't talked to you in like a year. So Yeah, man. I need to get some. I think I've been I've been hitting up not raised the pizzeria for a little while, but I kind of want to. I might get some empanadas. You know, they got the empanada trucks around the corner. Have, of the you know, I, if I was there, I thank you in person for coming on with me. So <laughs> for now, just to accept my sincere thanks for coming. I'll, up. I'll take the social distance. Thanks. Thank you. All right. Hope to see you soon, Christian. Thank you. No problem. Have a good one. Again, a very big thank you to Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News. I highly recommend that you check out his archive on the Daily News site. You know, he's really good. So, you know, one thing that came out of that conversation with Christian, I did get a chance before last night's game to finally ask Steve Nash about zone defenses. And here's the response. Hi, Steve. Uh, you may have addressed this before, so I apologize if I missed it. Uh, but when a team has trouble uh, containing ball handlers, sometimes they try zone. Uh, your team hasn't really done it for more than a couple of possessions. So I just wanted to ask if there was a philosophical uh, difference. I mean, Jacques Vaughn uh, used it a lot last year, and especially in the bubble. Yeah. No, we want to go zone. We want to mix it in. It's just been one of those tricky things that you're caught a little bit in between not having much time to prep. We prepped it one day because we've spent most of our time refining our basics. And so, you know, when you're, you're caught between like, do we change because we're not good enough at this, but we know we're going to have to be good enough at this. Uh, so do we diversify now or do we diversify in sequence when we've actually gotten a good understanding? So that I think has slowed down the process. And this is just one of those years that it's, you know, six and one half dozen another. You know, you could you could throw in multiple defenses right now, and hopefully over the long term you improve it and figure them out. Um, but you could also say, let's get ours down pat. And with James here, we we, we were looking at a new group and trying to get that down. Um, you know, before going zone, and now we've put in the zone. Uh, we just haven't been able to lean into it yet. But that is something that is on our horizon, and we are philosophically in in tune with. So there you go. Nash, I guess, is promising that he'll be installing zones into the defensive playbook at some point this season. I mean, you'd think that they would have known who they were before the season, so they could have worked on it some during training camp. Because, I mean, this team struggles to stay in front of ball handlers most nights. They had a ton of trouble with Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal on Sunday. And Trey Young has given him fits in the three games the Nets played against the Hawks. I mean, Nash actually put Harris on Young in the last meeting a week ago. That was the game where Harris had his three-point streak end at 79 consecutive games. So after that game, I asked Nash about the irony in Joe contributing more to the overtime victory with his defense than with his three-point shooting. And here's the clip of that. Hi, Steve. Uh, Joe Mav seen his three-point streak uh, halted, but he did impact the game in other ways, and you even had him as the primary defender on Trey Young down the stretch. Want to know when you went back at the film what you saw and what was 
the motivation behind that decision to put him on him? Well, Joe's just got a tremendous heart. He's a great competitor. He will do anything for the team. He's an elite three-point shooter. He's improved at finishing around the basket and putting the ball on the deck, but his defense has been really good for us this year. You know, um, I, you know, I don't, okay, physically, maybe he's not an elite defender, but he's a very good defender who understands the game plan, who sacrifices his body and energy for his team every night, and we know he'll be diligent on a tough assignment like that. So, you know, you can really – you know, although you wouldn't necessarily put that matchup down on paper uh, in, 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 a, in a crunch situation, but we trust him in every situation. So uh, he, he, he had a huge impact on the game for us, you know, even if it wasn't a big scoring night. No, I wouldn't have put that matchup down on paper, but, you know, Steve Nash wins some, he loses some. And that one he definitely won. And he's got his team at 14-9. and nine. It's good for second place in the competitive Eastern Conference. Still a long way to go, and, you know, this roster isn't complete. You know, I'm not expecting much from the two guys the Nets picked up off the street over the weekend, you know, Norvell Pell and Amon Shumpert. Pell, a springy big man with a very raw game, and Shumpert, well, you know, we know what he can and can't do from his limited time here last season. Bigger version of Brown, in my opinion, but probably even less efficient offensively. Uh, like I told Christian Woodfield, you know, if he takes away minutes from TLC, I'm fine with that. Uh, in the coming weeks, I'll be keeping an eye out for potential candidates for that 15th roster slot. I know many are talking about guys who I I just don't think will be attainable. You know, like Andre Drummond or J.J. Redick. You know, the extra playing round is allowing some of the normally bad teams, like the Knicks... And they could keep hanging around at the bottom of the bracket, you know, which isn't going to motivate them to buy their veterans out like in past years. So I think it'll be up to this group to work out the inconsistencies. I think the Nets are on national TV seven more times in their final 14 games before the break. It's a good thing. I believe they're 6-0 and in the games televised on the Disney and Turner networks. Just goes to show you that they get up for certain games more than others which makes us fans feel on top of the world after games like last night and want to howl at the moon after nights like Sunday. But for now, I'm just going to wrap up this episode of the City Game Podcast. Again, a huge thank you to Christian Winfield of the New York Daily News for taking the time to talk Nets basketball with me. Very insightful guy. I should be back next week, crossing my fingers that can confirm a new special guest to the podcast. Don't want to jinx it, but stay tuned. Also, hope to check in with you listeners for another listener mailbag segment. That should be fun. So you'll want to subscribe to the City Game Podcast on Radio.com, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading these episodes. Please feel free to also post some nice comments on Apple Podcasts if you get a chance. So until next time... I'm Steve Lichtenstein of WFN.com saying thank you for listening to the City Game Podcast.